0: Good evening, everyone. Good to see you here tonight as uh, we continue with our Wednesday night verse-by-verse Bible study as Pastor Mark continues to lead us through that here this evening. Great to have each of you here. We want to welcome those that are joining us in Appleton. Hey, Appleton, all the folk in Appleton, and Stevens Point as well at the campus in Stevens Point. Great to have you join with us. And then, of course, you folk that join us on Wednesday nights online. Good to have you a part of our service as well and our time, our study together tonight. But it's great to have everybody here in Green Bay as well. Good crowd here tonight. And that's a great thing, a wonderful thing as we take time to just get God's Word in us, right? We need to get God's Word in us. And this is a great opportunity to do just that. So welcome. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite the guys, the ushers, as they're going to take the offering here tonight. If you take offerings over at Appleton and Stevens Point, now's the time to do it an opportunity to do that, and in a minute we're going to pray, I'm going to open with prayer, and then we're going to go straight into the the study tonight. Uh, It's a recorded study, Pastor Mark recorded it and sent it to us, Uh, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer, Uh, apparently it's a little, uh, slightly, the focus may not be 100%, so don't adjust your glasses, don't blame anybody in 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 our uh, video uh, room. Don't hit the buttons and try and adjust your TV screen. It's actually a little bit of an issue that was done when it was recorded, but the teaching's good. We're excited about it. He's continuing, Pastor Mark's continuing with uh, the study uh, in the the New Testament, going through the New Testament chronologically. And tonight, following up from what he did, started last week 2 Corinthians chapter. 5, right at the end of chapter 5, and we're going to cover chapter 6 here tonight. So we're excited about that. So if you're ready for that, how many of you are ready? Are you ready to, to open up, hear God's word tonight? You guys in Stevens Point and Appleton, hopefully you're ready as well. All right, so let's open with a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll go right into it here this evening. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of gathering together at each one of the campuses here tonight, here in Green Bay and Appleton, Stevens Point, those that are joining us online, God, our hearts are wide open to hear from you. As your word is taught tonight, as Pastor Mark goes through uh, this, the Second Corinthians, this, the chapter six, may our hearts just be like a sponge almost, absorbing your word, and may it be word and the word that changes us. Holy Spirit, would you come? And literally take that word, and may there not be a single person that leaves this facility or any one of our facilities here tonight the same as they came in, because God's word is alive, it's active, it will change us as we open up our hearts and our lives to it. So Father, we thank you for that, we just pray your blessing over our time tonight, every part of it, our fellowship afterwards, our hearts open to receive from you tonight, and we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. Thank you for your goodness, and we all said amen and amen. God bless you.
1: Hello, Celebration Church, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Deb and I are on the road, traveling from literally from one coast to another and beyond, uh, doing some events. Occasionally, our schedule works in such a way we, we just can't get back in time. And I thought with the technology that we have today, we'll just go ahead and uh, continue the teaching uh, from the road. So here I am in my illustrious hotel room. <laughs> Glorious, isn't it? <laughs> People often ask us, you must see lots of different things. I say, we well, usually see the inside of hotel rooms, but, and they're pretty much all the same. But it's what we do. It's all right. Uh, some places we go that absolutely stunning, it's beautiful, but we do spend... An inordinate amount of time in hotel rooms. Anyway, so from our hotel room on the road, I am going to share with you. Uh, now, uh, the technology is a little weird. I actually have to pre-record this and uh, upload it to the church. The camera I have will only let me do it in 15-minute segments for whatever reason. I haven't figured it out. So we'll go 15 minutes. <laughs> You'll just have a brief pause and boink, I'll come back on again. <laughs> and then one more time, boink, and uh, we'll be done for our 45-minute Bible study. We are... In the uh, book of 2 Corinthians, uh, studying we are now uh, at uh, chapter 6, and of course, uh, and I always say this over and over again because there's so many new people that come to Celebration Church, which is a good thing. Uh, we want new people to come, and uh, we don't want to just keep talking in terms, though, that they don't understand. Uh, the idea behind chapters in the Bible, it, they, they weren't written in chapters. It's not like they were writing a novel or something like that. They were, they just wrote these letters in the New Testament. Our fancy word for a letter is epistle, uh, and uh, but it's just a letter. And then later, someone went and cut it up into chapters and verses, so you could find it, so you know where, where, where you where you're reading. And, and they break it down that way. So, but the writer isn't doing that. Most of the breaks are pretty consistent. Some of them are a little odd, but it doesn't really matter. It's just a point of reference, so that we can find out where we're at. So. Paul's writing this letter just to the Corinthians. We have it recorded as 2 Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians. Uh, the truth of the matter is it really should be 3 Corinthians <laughs> because we know that Paul wrote a letter before the f- one that we have written as 1 Corinthians because he says in the first letter I wrote to you, blah, 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 but no one has ever found it. So uh, one of those mysteries out there. Uh, well, it's not that big of a mystery because he summarizes basically what he told them, so it's not that big a deal. So uh, this uh, is recorded in our Bible as 2 Corinthians, even though it's literally the third letter that he wrote to them. The Corinth church was a very interesting church. Paul goes down there. He preaches the gospel to them. All kinds of people are becoming Christians. Uh, And then later, uh, Paul, when he's coming back on his third missionary journey, which is his final missionary journey, at the end of this journey, uh, Paul will be arrested and taken to Rome where he eventually dies A martyr's death And we'll be going through that uh, Step by step As we're we're going through The New Testament In the order That it was written Uh, Anyway So on his third journey He hears the Corinth church Is having all kinds of problems So he writes a letter to him He's really kind of Ticked off Not kind of He is ticked off He's really hacked And he writes a very strong letter That we have written As 1 Corinthians Uh, He's really chewing them out Big time And for good reason Because they were really Jacked up Uh, Then as he's on his way actually to go back to see them, uh, Titus, I believe, comes to him and still tells him, "You know, hey, <clears throat> there's still some issues, and some of these guys were really you know hurt by your previous letter. So he kind of clears the air with them, uh, but he still kind of defends himself a little bit. We'll see that as, as we go along. We've already seen it a little bit in second Corinthians. he'll be going along, and all of a sudden then he uh, he goes in to kind of defend his ministry, who he is, and he goes on some more, and he defends his ministry a little bit again. What's nice about uh, second Corinthians, at least from our standpoint, is just a lot of theology, just there's a lot of deep uh, reasonings behind Christianity and what goes on and what's happened in our lives and who are we and how we should be living our lives. Whereas First Corinthians really dealt with a lot of bad behavior in churches, and uh, he was really hammering them on what not to do, and what they ought to be doing. But now we're into uh, 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 the uh, second Corinthian letter. So here we go. Uh, We left off at chapter five. The last verse of chapter five says, uh, God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I talked about this great swap, the, the, the swap of eternity, the greatest swap of all time where Jesus swaps places with you where he takes your sin and he gives you His righteousness. Wow. How amazing is that? And that's why we have this standing with God and you can pray and fellowship and God's Holy Spirit comes in you because the righteousness of Jesus is in you now because of this incredible swap and your sins have been washed away. Praise God for that. Okay. So that's what he talks about there. So now continuing now, chapter six, verse one, keeping in mind there really wasn't a stop. He writes, he says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Uh, why is he warning them? Because, you know, it's, it's easy to hear truth and really not do anything about it. And I think we've all been there at one point or another. You know, you hear, you know, a great message on, on a Sunday morning or in a Bible study or some Christian teacher on radio or television. You go, wow, that was amazing. And you, and you leave and. 20 minutes later, you <laughs> completely forgot what he was talking about because uh, you weren't, you know, you didn't make any notes or, or any any way of really hanging on to what, what they said. And then, you know, we don't let the message change us. Uh, Paul's writing, don't let God's grace be in vain in your life. In other words, stay focused. Make sure you respond to the message. Uh, don't be, as James wrote, the very first epistle letter in the New Testament. James said, don't just... Listen to God's word, but make sure that you do it. Don't be just hearers, but doers. Uh, and Paul's way of saying this is, you know, don't don't receive God's grace in vain. Respond to the message. The message has gone out. When you hear the message, you need to respond to the message. All right? I think everybody gets that. Uh, and then he quotes from the Old Testament. You have to remember now, we as uh, Christians today, we quote from... The New Testament the, the writings of the apostles And, and, and the gospels of Jesus and, uh, But they didn't really have this yet Here he's still writing some of the earliest letters Their only way of any kind of written Reference was the Old Testament And oftentimes they would quote the Old Testament Although Paul in particular Was extremely careful Not to let the rules of the Old Testament law Dictate behavior And I've said this over and over again I'm thinking actually about maybe doing A, a couple of messages on it About warning people, don't don't live off the rules of the Old Testament. And you know what? If there's anything that you will hear from a Christian that tends to be goofy, or a group of Christians, or churches or stuff, they come up with some wackadoodle stuff, take it to the bank. It's almost always referencing the Old Testament. Why Christians for 2,000 years have had this obsession to go back and as their point of reference on what to do, what not to do is the Old Testament, escapes me. I just don't understand it. And every time they do it, it usually winds up being weird. We don't live by the old. And there's lots of examples and that's what I'm thinking about doing a, maybe a series on some of the things that people do today that just are kind of weird and strange that come from the Old Testament. Our reference, it's good to learn from the Old Testament, no question. And we'll teach from it. We'll use uh, some analogies and stuff uh, that we learn about faith and God and and God working in your life from the Old Testament. But the rules part of it, and that's a big chunk of it, it's called the law of Moses. Or sometimes they just say the law, the law. We're not talking, you know, police. (laughs) You know, that kind of law. He's talking about the law of Moses. When you start getting jacked up about what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you can wear, what days you got to watch out for and be careful of and all this jackaninny nonsense. Again, irritates me to no end, but maybe it's just my issue. So anyway, he quotes now from the Old Testament, that's his point of reference, talking about not letting God's word be in vain. And he quotes this, he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. That's a word word from the Old Testament. So now Paul writes, he says, so I tell you now, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So what he's saying is, here's the truth that I'm laying out to you. Here's what I'm explaining to you. Don't let it be in vain. Make sure you act on it. And he quotes from the Old Testament, pointing out that this idea, of respond to God now. Do it now. You know, open your heart to him uh, while it's called... uh, Still the day of salvation, the day is today. No one's guaranteed tomorrow. Now having said that, uh, I, I just want to deal with one issue here. Uh, preachers for decades have used this verse to kind of like a used car salesman. You know, don't, don't let him out the door. <laughs> you got to close the deal, you got to close that deal. Don't let anybody like, get out the door. And now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Don't walk out of here without accepting Jesus because you don't know that you're going to die and, you know, whatever. Uh, And, okay, I I get that. But I don't know that's really what Paul was talking about here. Um, I don't think we're supposed to be used car salesmen and trying to buttonhole and hammer people when they first hear the message of Jesus. Oftentimes, you could read in the in the book of Acts when the apostles were preaching and teaching, people would say, "Well, can we hear more about this later?" He said, "Great." So they come back and they would hear more. But not everybody was instantly converted. Uh, you don't have to be all jacked up. And I don't think too much of it, people, many people in our churches that way. But every once in a while, you run into a verge, version of evangelical preaching the gospel of Christianity that's just intense, and you gotta get saved right now and don't let them get away and let them know that they could die and go to hell if you know a truck runs over them. Okay, I get that. But I don't think that's really what he's talking about here. He's talking to Christians, first of all, about making sure they respond to the word of God because today is the day that you have for sure. But in the preaching of the gospel, some people will respond immediately and some don't. Some take years to respond and don't get discouraged by that. And certainly don't go all cycle crazy on them and start buttonholing them and say, man, you need to ask Jesus in your heart because you might die What well, if you die on the way home some little old lady runs over in your car and you die and go to hell with you? Ah, you know, I just, I don't think that's particularly helpful. And again, we don't see a lot of that, uh, if much of any of that, when they preach in the New Testament examples. We look at what they did. Uh, they would just preach the gospel. Some people would respond right away. Others, it took time. In our church, there's some people who right away, the first time they come to church, man, they immediately respond, and their life is immediately changed. And we love those stories. Some of you, you know you came for quite a while. I've talked to people. I've prayed with people in my office. They're the church who wanted to ask Jesus in their heart. And I'd say, haven't you been coming here for a couple of years? And they go, well, yeah. I said, well, didn't you pray with us? Yeah, but I, I just never took it seriously. Okay, great, whatever. So for some people, it just... Takes a while. Again, also want to point out that just repeating the words, you know, asking Jesus in your life, doesn't automatically make people saved. And you'll notice in our church, we don't go around telling anybody they're saved. A lot of evangelicals do that. You pray, now that you pray that prayer, you're born again. You know Jesus. You need, just wow, slow down, Sammy. You don't know where these people are at. I have no idea. Uh, what we see people, again, some of them are very quick, others it's slow, whatever it takes and I remember I was talking to one guy who was real intense about this, which they tend to be. He would not relent. Well, what if they die? I said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you pray they don't die? Right? Pray for them. You're concerned about a family member, someone you're sharing the gospel with and coming to church and they're not responding, pray that God will protect them. Be the intercessor for them. But I just don't think we have to be all jacked up and intense and a little crazy trying to buttonhole them like some kind of a used car salesman that they don't ask Jesus in their heart. we around saying, praise the Lord, I'm saved. The first time they come to church, man, don't, don't go there. There's no reason to go there, okay? And I don't think, despite how often the scripture is uh, used in that context, that that's really uh, what exactly is meant. Now, in all fairness, there is the argument. Yeah, you could leave and die. I get that. But uh, why don't you pray for people that you're ministering to and trying to help that they don't die and God will protect them and, and, and look for more opportunities. Don't be in such a hurry. I've, I've, again, I've had many people for years, it took years uh, before they finally responded to the message of Jesus. And to be honest with you, if I would have taken that version of buttonhole of them, you need to do it right now, and just, you know, I think I would have done a great disservice. Probably would have pushed them away from Jesus and they would have never really uh, eventually come to faith. Just They would have just got freaked out and ran away. So, you know, just, Chill out. It's all good. Trust God. All right. So I need to pause the camera for just a second. I'll be right back. There. and <laughs> <I'm> back. <laughs> Continuing now uh, in 2 uh, Corinthians, the sixth chapter. Now Paul kind of switches channels again, and he goes into this kind of defense uh, of who he is and his ministry. Because some people are giving him a hard time. That underlying thing is throughout this letter. Uh, and I think sometimes when we see these real kind of jerky thought patterns change from one to another, um, you know, we don't know how they wrote these things. Uh, I think it's highly unlikely they sat down nonstop and wrote the entire letter and then went on and did something else. Uh, for all we know, certainly I would have. You know, because they're handwriting this thing out or he's dictating someone else's handwriting them out. This is, you're not flying on some keyboard somewhere with spell checker and, you know, all that stuff and copy and paste and all that. Ah, so this, this is the old-fashioned hard way of writing. Uh, so my guess is, you know, they would probably work on a segment and then I don't, maybe the next day come back and pick it up again or who knows how they did that. Uh, that would be my best guess and that's why all of a sudden Boom, the uh, tenor changes a little bit uh, and then boom kind of goes another direction again. They weren't schizophrenic (laughs) or, you know, had a hard time focusing. My guess is most of these letters were written over more extended, you know, might have been a few days. I don't know. I just don't think it was all boom and and knock the letter out. Quite frankly, even when I'm writing a book or something like that, I don't. Do it all at one set. You know, there's days, weeks sometimes, kind of back and forth of thoughts. So, you'll see that. Now, all of a sudden, boom, He, he it's like he took a break, came back, and picked it up again. And now he goes right into this a little bit of kind of defense thing. So, we pick it up. Now he says, Now we put no stumbling block in anybody's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And then he starts describing what it's like for him to serve God. And uh, the, the point of this, he said, look, I'm, I'm, do- I'm not doing this for my health. I'm doing this because I love you people and, and I just want you to love me back. And uh, it's not like he's living like a fat cat somewhere. So he just starts describing his life in great endurance, in troubles, hardship, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, Uh, In hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. This guy, he he had a hard time. I mean, it was really rough. I mean, we all have hard times, and I get that. But I've never had anything like this, certainly not constantly, and he was constantly dealing with this stuff. Uh, In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love. In truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, Bad report and good report. We've all had those, right? I, I prefer the good ones. Uh, genuine, yet regarded as impostors. By whom? By unbelievers and maybe some of these guys at this church. We're giving them a hard time. Uh, now, we don't know why they were giving him a hard time. Some people had a, a tough time with Paul. Uh, I've said this before. My guess is, is as much as the Apostle Paul who wrote the bulk of the New Testament and has affected all our lives dramatically, you can't even imagine the kingdom of God without, what, without the work he did. My guess is most of us would not like him. <laughs> he, just, he was so intense. There's people who don't like me, <laughs> you know, for whatever reason. And I think Paul clearly had people who gave him a hard time. Uh, so he says, I was known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything. This guy suffered a lot. He, again, he's just trying to point out, look, man, the easiest thing in the world for him to have done is to sit back and mind his own business and not try to minister to people's lives and, you know, Uh, but he's fulfilling the call that got put on his life to minister to these people and and everywhere that he went. And uh, he did it at a great price. This was a rough time. Christianity, first giving birth 2,000 years ago. A lot of opposition, a lot of hatred, a lot of persecutions, but at the same time, a lot of glory, incredible stuff that we've been reading in the book of Acts. And that's what he's describing to them here. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. And then he says, we are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak uh, as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. So there he goes again, a little episode here of trying to defend who he is and what he's about. And I've just loved you guys. You know, I, I'm just asking you to love me back. You know, and I'm sure there's lots of people in the Corinthian church that did love him, but I'm, I don't know how big this element was that was giving him a hard time. I don't know who they were. I'm sure he did. But anyway, so there we get a little piece of that again. Then, boom, it's like he changes channels again. Again, my guess, he probably got up, went and did something, came back, continued his thoughts, and he starts just, now the whole train of thought changes, and uh, he starts speaking again about theology and about how to li- how we should live and what the Christian experience is about. Uh, now he gets to an interesting thing. He starts right off now and he says, now, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Um, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. The Bible's very clear that we're not supposed to be yoked. Now he uses the word yoked. That means it's like when they had an ox and they would put a yoke on it and he, they were like stuck together with another ox pulling or stuck to the one uh, plow or whatever, wagon pulling. The idea of yoke is to be really stuck together with somebody. He says, don't be yoked uh, in that way with unbelievers. Now, here's kind of a balancing thing that everybody has to deal with. And that is this. How close do we get to people who are not Christians? Well, um, I think in the beginning... um, When you first come to Jesus, you had all kinds of friends that are not believers, that you are yoked together with. It takes a while to transition from the life you lived before and the new life. But in a way, this transition is a great thing because oftentimes the people who are the most effective at bringing new people to Jesus are people who just came to Jesus. I promise you, the greatest evangelists, if you want to use that term, in our church are people who recently came to Christ, and now they bring their friends. They tell their friends, man, you need to come, and they respond, why? Because they're close friends, and what happened to them, and I want to check it out. So, uh, the idea, because they have these close connections with these uh, people who are, at this point, still unbelievers, it's an effective way for them to share the gospel. But at some point, a transition will kick in, where you will affect as many of the people you know, all of you guys, if you think about this, when you first became a Christian, even some of you have been Christians for 40 years plus like myself, in the early days, that's what we all did. We all had a great impact on our friends, but at some point, they either responded to the message of Jesus and, and, and loved what we did or didn't want to have anything to do with us or stayed at an arm's length. Uh, and that's, that's what happens. Here's the interesting thing. At some point, if you, as you grow in your faith and you get really involved in church, you'll have less and less connections to people who are unbelievers. And after a while, virtually all your close connections are people of faith, which in a way it's, is a good thing and you're supposed to be that way. But then it becomes very difficult for uh, you to continue to win people. I promise you, the people in our congregation, some of you guys listening right now who've been believers for the longest time, it's really hard for you to get somebody to come to church with you. It is. You know it is. The easy ones are the people You know, they just came to Jesus, you know, six months ago, and they they still got friends they used to go drinking and getting drunk with, dragging them to church because they still have that connection. At some point, you lose all those connections. Uh, So that puts us in an interesting place, and it's a bit of a quandary because we want to continue, right? All of us want to win people to Jesus. Well, the way that you do it is to continue to make friends with unbelievers. Now, that's not contrary to what Paul is talking about. Because you can make friends with people without getting yoked to them. Uh, and you can really tell you're unhealthily yoked when those friends start to pull you down. That's the transition some of you still have yet to go through uh, as you're still new in your faith. At some point, your closest friends will either respond to you and respect you for your faith or others will actually start having a real negative impact on you and you're going to have to break it off with them. Okay? Uh, so, But we still have to make friends with unbelievers or... or we're not going to be as effective. And I promise you, I think that we are not as effective as we should be in the majority of churches in America because after you've been a Christian for a long time, you don't have anybody you can really affect anymore. Uh, now, the way to fix that, now, we've always thought, well, what we'll do is we'll have a big special event at church. And that's okay. Sometimes we do that, you know, even in our church. Well, It's amazing how many people come to churches because Fred's brought them to a Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage seminar that we do every couple of years or some other special thing. Uh, Historically, they used to have big revivals. You know, Billy Graham came into town and all that kind of stuff, but those things tend to be less and less effective as culture changes. Um, I remember, you know, days, and, and, and some of you older ones will remember, certainly Pastor Joe and Pastor Lathan and myself, Man, we know exactly what it's like to go door to door, knocking on doors, standing on street corners, witnessing to people, handing out flyers, praying with people in all kinds of places. And it was actually rather effective. But culture changes and that's just not effective anymore. Every once in a while I see somebody somewhere holding a sign and you know, witnessing downtown or something and it's, it's, God bless them, but it's highly ineffective. They're not really making much of a change. Uh, It just doesn't work that way anymore. And the idea of the special singer or somebody coming to church also has a limited uh, thing. So the church has to adapt. How do we in this culture, now today, win people? How can we start bringing people into church and affecting more lives for the kingdom of God? Okay, that's the challenge. And and I have to pause this, (laughs) I'm right back. (laughs) Boom, I'm back, (laughs) okay. Uh, So how do we do this? How do we reach people and affect people? I think the most effective thing today is what we were just talking about. Making friends with people without getting so far connected to them in a way that they have a negative impact on you. That's what Paul's warning against. Uh, but uh, to make friends with people. And uh, I think one of the th- best ways to do this is just to be nice and to be friendly and invite people over in your neighborhood or you know whatever different things that you could find. And, don't feel compelled to have to stick Jesus in their face right away because if you do that right away They'll all go running and they won't be your friend and you won't have much effect on them uh, You know to be honest with you, I, mean, I try to do this uh, it's really difficult in Green Bay because virtually everybody knows who I am like in my neighborhood. I have like almost no effect <laughs> with my neighbors because they all kind of look at me like, I, you know, they're very nice, but, you know, the guy's got leprosy or something. Because they know he's a preacher. Actually, I hate that. <sighs> There's people out of respect. They introduce me to their friends. And I say, oh, this is my pastor, Pastor Mark. And part of me always goes, ugh, whenever they say that. But it's okay. It's great. You know, I can be a great uh, witness in their life and that kind of thing. But as soon as people introduce me as pastor, you see people change right away. Ooh, a wall goes up. Uh, they're real nervous. They don't act normal. They drop something and go, oh, and they curse. and oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't, and they're apologizing. I said, I'm just relax, you know, but they, they get all jiggity. So, and they're certainly not going to pour out their souls to me <laughs> because I'm a preacher. So, but that's just me, so most of you don't have that scenario. But if you come right off and say, hi, man, good to see you, and mind if we pray together? Praise God, and Jesus is the Lord of my life. You need to get Jesus in your life. They're just going to think you're crazy. And stay away from you. And you're not going to have much effect. Be nice. Invite them over. Have a barbecue. You know, I mean, there's, uh, who knows whatever you do. You're going boating? Invite your neighbors with you. You go boating. You know, everything doesn't have to be your family and your handful of friends at church. Again, the challenge is if you get so connected with all your friends at church that you have no outside friends, you can't win anybody anymore. And we're all supposed to win people. So, Keep your friends and everything, but always leave room to look for how can we bring somebody else in? How can we bring somebody else in? Uh, and then as they get to know you and they become friends, and you know, at some point, they're going to see the, why you act the way you act and why you do what you do. And you guys go to church all the time, and you say, Man, you ought to come with us. We really like to. You guys go to church all the time? Yeah, we love it. Why don't you come with us? And now you can have an effect on them because they trust you and they're, they're your friends. All right? Now, again, to new Christians, this is automatic because everybody that they. No, uh, I mean, if you're an alcoholic, you get saved all your who are your friends? bunch of boosters. <laughs> and they still like you and you try to get them to church, right? If you're a drug addict, who are your friends? They're all drug addicts, you know? Uh, whatever it is, I mean, it doesn't have to be bad, whatever world that you come from, all your friends immediately kind of look at you and try to find out what happened to you and and, and, you, and that's all automatic and that's easy. Again, at some point, <clears throat> you'll find that that starts to change and your world will quickly become just all the people in the church and, uh, and then you don't affect as many people. So, But let me try and warn you, don't just fall into that as most Christians have today. Always try to keep an open mind and heart to invite new people into your life. If for no other reason, just so that you can share the love of God with them. Because remember, you're the only Jesus a lot of people will ever see. And you want God to use you to touch people. So, you need to make Friends, Today, that is absolutely. And again, I've done all the different versions of evangelism. You can imagine. Okay, we've been around for a long time. (laughs) Pastor Joe and I have spent more time on street corners, handing out flyers about Jesus than some of you have ever spent in church combined. I mean, we're years doing this, all day long, every day. I mean, it was... You know, and again, there was a time when all that stuff was effective, knocking on doors and being real and people, but it just doesn't work anymore. It honestly doesn't. There's a, What works today it seems like today, and who knows if it'll change in 10 years, and then we need to adapt again to whatever's working then, but right now, it seems the most effective way to win somebody to Jesus is just to become their friend, and, uh, and that takes time, which again, don't think, well, I got to get them saved today because they might die tomorrow. No, you don't. Just relax, Okay. And be friendly to people. And be nice. And get them close enough to you so that you can bring them into your life and Jesus is a part of your life and at some point they meet this Jesus that you're very passionate about. So, now, Paul just said, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Well, again, there's a difference between being really... Because Paul said, even Paul at one point said, listen, don't hang with bad people. And, but he's talking about people who claim to be Christians who are acting bad. He says... If I said, don't hang with any bad people, you'd have to leave the planet. He says, you have to leave this world because there's bad people everywhere. And he says, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? So we know that's not what he's talking about. But there is this joining together where you get really super close to someone who's not a Christian. And let me tell you uh, where some of the greatest uh, danger that uh, teenagers, uh, kids growing up and they get really close friends with kids who are not believers in Jesus, That can have a real negative impact on them. The biggest way this goes sideways is people who uh, start dating people who are not Christians. I don't have a problem, actually, short-term dating as a way of bringing guys to church. I really don't. You girls, man. These heathens come up and ask you on a date. Don't say no. Say yes, conditionally. Yeah, I'll go to dinner with you if you come to church with me for one month. The girls I have doing this to them? I should let them testify. They say, you have no idea? Everyone, I'm saying, yeah, I'll come to church with you. I'll come to church with They've been introducing me over the last few weeks. I think it's hilarious. You know. Hopefully, at some point, they come and they hear the message of Jesus and they respond. Or if they don't want it, they say, well, that's not for me, and they take off. Okay, fine. But I don't have a problem. That kind of thing. You, and after the one month, you go have one dinner with them. That's it. Order something expensive. Have a nice meal. And then uh, move on. <laughs> Tell them. I don't think it's going to work out, but I hope you keep coming to church. The idea of the month is really just to get them to come. There are people today who have, their lives have been changed forever. I, I was talking to some pastors uh, uh, back uh, a month or so ago at this pastor's conference where I met Hazm Faraj, that, the, the Muslim guy who became a Christian, was at that conference. And I was telling some of these pastors about my idea of why don't we encourage our guys and girls to date and not believe, I'm talking about just the first time date, get them to come to church. And two of the pastors started giggling. And I looked at him and said, what? And I said, well, that's, that's what we did. He said, that's how we got our wives. And the wives are shaking their heads. They just went out. They saw these pretty girls. They got them to come to church. with <laughs> them. They got saved. And uh, they saw it was real in their lives. Kept dating them. Got saved. Married. Have babies. And are pastoring churches today. So it's perfectly legit, legit and fine. That kind of dating. But if you're with somebody... And you're dating, dating. I mean, you're really getting serious with someone who doesn't know Jesus. That's bad. That's not good for you. You know, don't do that. And some of you, you know. You know, I talk to some of the young people. And say, oh, yeah, I got this guy. And we're thinking, you know, his fiancee are going to get married. And I always ask them, well, you know, is he a Christian? Well, yeah, you know, he was raised a Lutheran and, and he got baptized once. And Come on. You know he's not a devout Christian. He's, he's a Christian like... Like we're Americans. <laughs> we're born Americans. Well, you're not born a Christian. Uh, so, again, I know these things get complicated, but Paul warns us, don't get yoked together with someone who is an unbeliever. All right? Be careful with the, for the young people, <laughs> with the friends that you have, uh, because that's a, you can really get yoked tight when you're uh, preteen, teen, through high school uh, with someone who doesn't know Jesus, that usually doesn't pan out very well, and certainly any kind of serious dating with someone who's not a devout Christian, you should not be doing, but I love him. I know, <laughs> sweetheart. You're going to run into all kinds of problems. And Paul says, don't do it. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And then here's, here's this reasoning. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What uh, harmony is there between Christ and Belial? or Which is a word, Old Testament, they used Baal, Baaliel. It was uh, their version, of like Satan. These guys would go into these temples and worship, kind of the version of satanic worship. Was this uh, deity called Baal? Okay, he was kind of like the rock star <laughs> idol, demonic idol of the Old Testament. You'll read, it, you'll run into that name all the time in the Old Testament. They're, I told you why are you worshiping Baal, and you know, and God gets so mad at him, and. Uh, so he's saying what, there's no fellowship between Christ and Satan, for heaven's sakes. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord <coughs> Almighty. So... Now, he's quoting, again, from the Old Testament. Uh, and what the Jews did is they really went out of their way to not be like everybody else. Uh, in fact, God wanted them to do that way. And the way they did it was by what they ate and what they wore and what days they worked and what days they didn't work and when they worshiped and, uh, and all these rules of the Old Testament, the law of Moses, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it's really, so to this day, you see a, a devout Hasidic Jew, you know you're not part of his club. <laughs> and they are still, to the, they, they don't want you part of their club. I mean, they want, there's a wall because they take these Old Testament rules and come up from around them and be, be separate stuff. Now the challenge for Christians is we should be different, not by the way we look or the clothes that we wear or uh, you know what foods we eat, or I mean, this—that's not what makes us different. But we're still supposed to be different. But we're supposed to be different in terms of righteousness and love and kindness and purity. And if you're really close to someone who doesn't do that, there's a risk that they can pull you away from that. <laughs> that's the warning here. Uh, you know who, what group of people, even Christian people to this day, really take this really intensely. Again, Old Testament that gets a little bit out of control. Amish people. You know, many of them are very devout Christians, but the reason they don't have TVs is because the heathens have TVs. They don't have electricity because the heathens have electricity. (laughs) The pagans, people who don't believe in Jesus. So their idea of being, and they're separate, there's no question, you run into the Amish, you know they're Amish. They're still driving buggies and stuff like that, horses and you know, working like crazy, uh, very hard lives, because that's, in a way, that's their expression of faith. The problem is it kind of makes them irrelevant. I mean, who's, who are they affecting? Not affecting anybody. Nobody wants to be like this. So our version of being separate and coming out is about the way we live our lives and who we are, the purity of heart and the love that we walk uh, as Christians. So again, all of this, just, just kind of balancing this out. The truth is if you get very close and unequally yoked with an unbeliever, they will negatively affect you. And Paul is warning about that. Don't be like that. You shouldn't have any uh, that cl- close of connections with what he terms as unbelievers. All I'm trying to do is go out of my way to let let you know uh, the way that you can turn unbelievers into believers is actually to be their friends, being kind to them. And that's all consistent with the Gospels. Jesus telling the story of the, uh, you know, uh, good Samaritan and all these different things about helping people and being kind to people and reaching out to people that's how you can bring them into the kingdom of God don't just be the typical Christian uh, that eventually all your friends are Christians and you don't know anybody and you have no more friends and you can't affect anything hard not to do that's certainly my life and certainly as a pastor then you really get button and nobody wants to get close to you because they're afraid lightning will strike them or something I don't know Uh, But those of you who like it at work and stuff, be friendly to people. Be kind to them. Make friends. Invite them to your home. That kind of thing. Look for opportunities to win people to yourself and then consequently be able to win them to Jesus. I don't think that is inconsistent with this. What this is warning is about this really close connection with people uh, and you're not living differently and you're not separate and you're caught up in the same bad habits they're doing and... Bad things are saying, and you know, that kind of stuff. So, that, that's the warning there. Uh, so, and again, the biggest caution watching for your kids, try to encourage them, and you'll see it. They'll just be drawn to someone who's a non Christian. And if they, you know, hopefully they can bring them to church and they become Christians. But at some point, you will see they don't want anything to do with Jesus. You need to kind of break it off and be real careful, particularly if your kids are dating someone uh, that are not devout Christians. Now, that's assuming your kids are devout Christians. The reality is the reason why some of our kids do that is they're not devout Christians, so it's easy for them to uh, date someone else who's not a devout Christian, and and this all gets kind of jacked up. But if you are a true follower of Christ and you are a devout Christ follower, you need to be careful. Win people to yourself, but just don't cross this line where it becomes over the line and, and they start affecting you badly and in a negative way. Okay. All right, that's enough for today. Um, next Wednesday, we'll pick it up again, and we start with chapter seven and continue going through uh, this study in 2 Corinthians, okay? So uh, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word and for your kindness and your gifts. Lord, I pray that you help us to learn from your word uh, and to live effective lives that will touch other people's lives. All the time, always being circumspect, circumspect being careful, watchful, that we live in such a ways that will continue to build our faith and to honor God at all times. But always help us, Lord, to know and to reach out and to love the people around us so that we can continue to draw people into this wonderful kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. See you next time.
0: Amen. We knew it was going to be a little shorter tonight, so the kids are going to finish up a little early, but they're going to get done at about quarter two. So we've got about ten minutes. Uh, Typically they go on to 8 o'clock, but because we knew it would be a little shorter tonight, the children's ministry is going to shorten up a little bit too. But anyway, enjoy yourselves, have a good evening, God bless you, and we'll see you on Sunday.